0: Welcome, everyone, to our latest NCAA Social Series, episode number 30. I'm Andy Katz. Pleased to be joined, as I am almost every week, by NCAA Chief Medical Officer Dr. Brian Hainline, and Daniel Donahue, who is the Executive Director of the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, and Craig Robinson, the newly named Executive Director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Brian, I want to start with you in terms of sort of laying the ground rules here in men's and women's college basketball practices have started officially this week, and so games are supposed to start Thanksgiving week, and we hope that we can get all the way through to the NCAA men's and women's tournament in March and into early April. Um, In terms of our first major sport inside, across the country, what are some basic ground rules that you hope everyone follows as we enter this period of the pandemic?
1: Well, uh thanks, Andy, and actually it's really a pleasure to be with Danielle and Craig too. We 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 interact a lot on on these Zoom meetings, so it's 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 great to all be together. You know, I think what we have to do is look at lessons learned, Andy, and that's really important. So, you know, there is a difference between basketball and outdoor sports, and and, and you know, that basketball is played in an indoor building. So that creates one issue that, that I'll I'll mention in, in a little bit. But what we've learned you know, so far from the, uh, let's look at the football season, everyone was really frightened about what would happen during football play. But so far we don't have a documented case of transmission of virus during competition. And if we look at the cases that have happened, you look at the NFL, and if you look at the cases that have happened in college sports, you know the positive cases are happening from outside of sports. So from those interactions where you're in close social encounters and and virtually universally it's when individuals are not following the most basic rule of engagement. Always physically distance and always mask. If there's a team meeting, everyone is physically distance and everyone is masked, but even more ideally the team meetings are being held virtually, you know, we even have had some high profile events where One team had positive members and another team did not. And there was no transmission uh, that that happened. So that's the, it sounds simple, but if every single student athlete, every single core coach, every single tier one support staff that they followed the most important way to mitigate COVID-19 risk, we would be well underway. And then the other thing is we are looking at basketball. The difference between basketball and, and, and football is that you are indoors. And so we know the CDC has said that there, um, there may be a, an increased risk of the ability to transmit a COVID-19 um, indoors versus outdoors. So, so we have to be uh, more cautious from that point of view. And the nature of the interaction in, in basketball and, and football is, 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 is different. There's a bit more of a close encounter but even from that point of view, the really close encounters happen in in seconds. They aren't prolonged over minutes. So it remains to be seen what the transmission risk will really be in that sport. Um, so what we've done, because it is indoors and because there, there may be some different rules of engagement, is that the amount of mandatory testing is increased relative to the baseline that was set for football. So We're optimistic as we go forward and and I know that Danielle and Craig and and everyone that that they are working for and working with, they understand that this is going to be largely up to the athletes to make certain that they do what they need to do 24-7.
0: So one thing that Brian just pointed out, Danielle and Craig is, uh, and I know we can't compare it to the WNBA and the NBA, but just on the court itself, I'll start with you Danielle and then you Craig. Uh, the success of the wobble and the Bubble down in Florida and the WBA and the NBA, not having positive cases of, of actually playing the sport, um, how much has that helped at least give some optimism as we enter college basketball for the men and the women? Danielle, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah, thanks, Andy. And uh, and it's fun to be here. Thanks for having me today. And and yes, I feel like I'm on Zooms with Craig and Brian all the time now, Um <laughs> So it's fun, fun to continue all these conversations, but I will say that what we saw with the WNBA and the NBA was, was tremendous for optimism. Um, it was a, a working model that we can learn from. Uh, I know from a, just an excitement perspective on, on the women's basketball side, I mean, there, were, there was so much social media, the television ratings were off the charts. The, the players um, for the WNBA. I mean, we, we were hearing lots of wonderful stories about how much they appreciated the health and safety being first priority and then the ability to compete and compete um, at, at the highest level. And so that's, that's what our sport is all about. It was very encouraging, uh, I think, for our our members across the collegiate landscape to be able to cheer on our professional um, colleagues. And it, it was incredible for optimism. So I, I think we're entering into this time period um, with with an open mind, with a lot of optimism. We're trying to learn um, from Dr. Hanline and, and the experts and do our part uh, to continue to keep health and safety first.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> it's great to be here with both of you, with all three of you. Um, I, I'd, I'd echo what Danielle said. Um, it, the, the NBA has given us a nice um, model and, and not just from sort of an organizational standpoint but for our players and our coaches to, to model that kind of behavior because we're going to have to be uh, on our most stringent behavior to make sure we can get through this season uh, Andy, and, uh, but, but what I'd like to point out to, to you and to, to the folks out, out in the audience is that I have not seen so much uh, collegial uh, effort in working together from uh, our coaches across um, Division I than that what I've seen in these, in these uh, w- weeks and months since I've been with the NABC everybody's goal is to to get the season in and uh and and dr hainline's done a great job in educating us he's done a great job in warning us um you know i think th- there's there's a feeling of cautious optimism uh and and we're just uh, and i'll echo what everyone else has said we're just trying to do what's best for our players and our coaches and our communities uh but everybody is excited to get practice going and and get the games going.
0: All right. So I want to sort of pick apart some things that we saw work. Uh, Obviously, let's not deal with off the court because no teams are going to be in a controlled hotel environment for the next four months. So let's forget that. Let's deal with what we could see. Uh, And and you tell me both on the men's, women's side, and Brian, I want you to chime in, obviously. And I'll just throw out a couple of these. So first off, benches. Uh, what are the chances that we will see the benches spread out, um, you know, alternating sort of seating uh, on the benches for the players? Let's start with that topic. We can go around and I'll start with you, Danielle, and then we'll just go around our little our little circle, our little square here.
2: Okay, sounds great. so so in terms of the benches, i I, I believe in so many of the conversations we've all had, we did see a model with the WNBA and the NBA that worked and, and their their benches were different. And so we are going to need to encourage um, a different look and, and spacing to the benches. One of the challenges certainly um, across our, our NCAA membership from divisions, one, two, three is all the arenas or, or, um, or gyms, they all have different opportunities for spacing right there's there's different looks to every playing facility and so um the individual game management staff is going to have to um, do their best to create space on the bench uh, to protect all the participants whether it's the student athletes the coaches certainly where the fans are going to sit in in um, behind the benches you know maybe move those fans back um, all all around that that bench area We're, we're going to need to make sure that um, we're we're putting health and safety first, uh, creating more space. And, and that may look a little bit different at every playing facility since they all are unique.
3: Yeah. And Andy, we had, uh, uh, to, to, to look at this in another way. We, we just had JD Collins, the uh, head of officiating for the NCAA, talk to a group of our coaches and interacting with, um, with, with the bench from a ref standpoint is going to look different too, right? We've got to make sure our coaches remain socially distant and wear their mask when they're conversing with their, with players and with the coaches. Um, and then there was a, 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 a s- something else that I noticed that the, that the NBA and WNBA did uh, that made a whole lot of sense is even though they were socially distanced on the bench, players who weren't in the game right so like the the non-rotation players they all had masks on the coaches who uh weren't giving instruction all had masks on and when they gave instruction they pulled their mask da- down gave instruction and put their mask up it, it just it gets back to what 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 dr Hainline has said if, if we can socially distance and and stay masked up as as much as possible we have a good chance of mitigating a lot of risk
0: so Craig, i'm gonna get to the officials here momentarily but uh, Dr. Hanlon, let me, let me get back to you on that. What is the appropriate space in between seats or benches? Because we saw, you know, was a little different um, within the NBA benches in terms of, uh, so they get excited, they pop up, they congregate. But to Craig's point, I think it's a great point that the players who weren't in the game or about to go into the game, they were wearing masks and sort of the peripheral coaches were as well. But what's the proper spacing? If, if someone from game ops is watching this right now, about trying to spread out the bench, how much distance should there be?
1: Well, ideally, uh, Andy, there would be six feet between players, but I think if you do every other, at a minimum, every other chair with the requirement that you're masked, that makes a huge difference. And and there may have to be some rules changes because as Danielle mentioned, you know, <laughs> different arenas have different space allocations. And so we may have to go into an L-shaped space and, and that that requires a, uh, and operational rules change. So, so I will tell you as, as, as we speak, actually, um, so your timing is, is perfect, uh, uh, Andy, that we're we're actually reviewing, we meeting the NCA COVID-19 Medical Advisory Group, um, we're reviewing a basketball operations uh, document. And so it includes everything from the spacing on the bench, the separation from the bench, and if there are gonna be any spectators, the universal masking uh, while on the bench. You aren't going to see, uh, you know, someone with a water bottle going from person to person and, <laughs> you know, putting it in, a, spraying it into their mouth. Everyone's going to have their own water bottle, their own set of towels, and and so it's it's going to be very different um, and, and quite orderly. And 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 as Craig said, with you know the interaction with the officials, that's that's going to be. Uh, a different as well so it, it would be exceptionally difficult for the officials to mask during the game I mean they're really like players they're running up and down and and, and you know the mask would become so wet as to be uh, non-functional anyway but when there are the, the the timeouts and and those types of discussions well, well that's something you know when officials um, will likely be wearing masks so everything is, is going to look different and it is going to I think have much of the look and feel of, of um, how, how the NBA, WNBA, have, have put their benches together.
0: All right, so I want to get to the uh, coach-official relationship for a momentarily, but just to follow up on the officials, in terms of the whistle, uh, I remember at one point early in this pandemic there was talk of an electronic whistle, but if what you're saying is when they're running up and down, the whistle's usually in their mouth the entire time, uh, and then they blow it, uh, and then maybe if they have to go talk to uh, the you know the stat crew you know, maybe that's when the mask comes up. There probably is going to be fiberglass, which we'll get to in a moment. But what are you hearing in terms of whether it's a real whistle or an electronic whistle?
1: Yeah, so all the whistles are real, but I uh, <laughs> just, not, but, um, you know, the electronic whistles, we haven't had great success with them in football. And uh, what's really key is that when you want to stop play, you want to be certain that. Everyone hears the whistle and they stop what they're doing. That's a health and safety concern that sometimes is much greater than an infection safety concern. So it's highly likely that the officials are going to have the traditional whistle where you're blowing into it, but there are actually pouch devices that fit at the end of the whistle so that you aren't having any of the uh, particles that are going into the air. It really is like a mask for a whistle. And they're, they're really effective. So I think that's where we're going to land because the electronic whistle just, you know, there's a different feel to it. And, and you know, the players are used to just by instinct. They hear the whistle and they stop. And the electronic whistle, it, 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 it didn't produce that same result.
0: All right. So I want to get to this coach official relationship because we know in this sport, men and women, um, you know, there, there are plenty of iconic confrontations between uh, the head coach and the official. There's a lot of spray going on between both parties, going back and forth. Uh, Craig, we'll start with you. What have you counseled the coaches, the high-profile Hall of Fame coaches, about how they need to interact
3: with officials during this pandemic? Well, we've <clears throat> we've talked to them about comportment right from the start, um, and 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 how important it's going to be. Uh, number one, because um, there, there, there's likely to be not many people in the arenas if there are people in the arenas, So sound is going to carry. Um, and, and so we've talked to, to our coaches about that and being extremely careful with uh, how they interact, how the players, how their players interact with the officials. Um, and 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 you, you talked a little bit about what we've learned from the NBA. You know, the thing that I noticed about the, uh, about the NBA is that, they move the mics that are usually right there at the scores table and put them over to the other side. So you could still hear the sounds of the game, but you couldn't quite hear what the players were saying like you would normally be able to hear with the crowd noise. So I think that's something to take a look at. Um, and, and 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 really it just, um, it comes down to our coaches sort of changing uh, our behavior, and uh, and we're hoping to get a few of them to to kind of speak and 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 do a do a video that will go out to all the rest of the coaches. If we could get some of our Hall of Fame coaches to do that, I think that'd be really helpful.
0: Danielle, on that relationship,
2: yeah, I'll, I'll just add, Andy, that um, we have had so many meetings with with various committees with coaches and officials um, on, on the committees. And I think there's a, there's a great respect from our coaches of, of the experience that the officials are gonna have this year. Um, the officials are, they travel um, a lot of times alone or, or they're, they're going from city to city constantly for one game after another. They're being crewed in, in different crews of, of different people each night many times. Um, there's, there's a number of uh, game operations in the sense of when, when an official is supposed to arrive to the game, when is an official supposed to be out on the floor, when, when is an official um, supposed to, to do all, all sorts of things. One, one example would be we have a, a, a mechanic in the women's game where um, after a, a call is made, before COVID, um, an official is supposed to go and stand by the coach, right, to be able to explain um, the call if, if needed. And, and so some of those mechanics are going to have to be different this year and, and create some of that space. Um, but, but I will say, you know, back to my, my beginning comment, um, I think there's a great respect from our coaches for what the officials are going to have to go through this year. Um, from a health and safety perspective, the extensive travel that they're gonna have to to go through now in this new environment, um, and and the real commitment to try to keep the officials safe um, and the players safe and the coaches safe. And how do you do all of that um, in in a a game operations situation? And and that's tough, it's going to be tough. And and as Dr. Hanline talked about, um, and Craig talked about it, it's gonna take a lot of discipline and just being very aware of our historical habits. They're gonna have to evolve um, in this COVID time period. So um, I would just lean on, uh, there's a great respect and understanding of the importance of our officials, the need for our officials to also be, um, have health and safety as a priority. Um, Our our coaches are committed to that as well. And and then we all wanna work really well together as a team um, to help the season be successful.
0: So Craig, Daniel brings up a great point. And there actually were a couple officials, if you remember back in March, that tested positive. Uh, Once everything shut down, we heard about this after the fact in a couple of conference tournaments. Um, Normally, officials are somewhat tied to specific conferences, and they don't always live in that region. Now, they are independent contractors. That's a major difference between the NBA, WNBA, and college sports. So Craig. What are the chances we could see these officials sort of cutting those conference ties to stay more regionalized So that they don't travel as much and that may affect their salary because different leagues pay different prices yet For their own safety and for the safety of the student athletes and the coaches. It may not be prudent for them to be flying from the Midwest to the East Coast and back or to the West Coast and really
3: staying regionalized Craig yeah, Andy, that's, that's a great point. And we've talked about that in our groups and, and we're just uh, prepared and we've been told by, uh, been counseled by the NCAA to be prepared where you would usually not see the same official in, 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 a, in you'd see him once or twice a month. You know, be, this will be, this could be uh, a situation where you see the same official or officials for three games in a row just depending on the logistics of travel and, and, uh, and COVID uh, outbreaks in and of itself. So, uh, and in, in addition to that, we've also been counseled that you might have a couple of officials who are used to working in one conference and you may have a third official who is a, a local or regional pickup that is in your area uh, and may not have the same experience as the other two officials, that might be your crew. But again, it comes back to, we all are trying to stay as flexible as possible. We're trying to be as team oriented as possible. And we're, we're just trying to make our way through this so we can have a season.
0: So Brian, uh, I, this is my counter to, I talk to coaches literally every day. And um, you know, one of the things that I uh, said, so, well, how am I supposed to talk to my team with a mask on? You know, we're in the huddle, it's heated, game's close and all that. And my counter is, well, normally you have to talk loud because there's a crowd. And it gets really loud uh, you know we may have piped in music and things like that but you know if we have any fans it's certainly not going to be what we're used to at Cameron or Fog Allen or anything like that but what would be your counsel Brian to these coaches who say when we get in that huddle and I really want to express myself how can I do it with a mask on well I would practice a lot with a mask
1: <laughs> and I'm, it sounds like I'm being facetious but you know when you when you really get used to wearing a mask i mean it used to be look i mean i'm i'm, I'm in new york now and everyone wears a mask and um you, you, you know the museums are are now opening and it's 25 percent people wear masks and it used to be you know it was really uncomfortable with a mask you didn't like it now you wear a mask all day long and it's fine you interact with your neighbors and, and you speak in mass. And the coaches, honestly, I, I really believe that you have to practice doing that because part of it is the perception that you can't be heard. Part of it is that, you know, the, the emotions that you're really trying to display, which a lot of it is through how your facial muscles contract in different ways. You know, you're gonna have to let that go. And as you mentioned, as, as, as others mentioned, you know, the, the, the noise in the background will be a lot different. And so there's every reason to believe that you should be able to do that. So it's just one more step that we have to do. You know, in and, and, and some ways, you know, uh, it's kind of like a fire drill practice, you know, where you have to keep repeating it because in the heat of the moment, the emotions take over, there's going to have to be a lot of repetitious behavior. As Danielle and Craig talked about, you know, it's new behavior, it's learned behavior, and and they should be starting
0: now. So, Danielle and Craig, I mean, what are you hearing? I mean, we've got Hall of Famers on all sides, whether it's Gino or Kim Mulkey or Tara Vandeveer and, you know, Coach K, Beheim, Roy, I mean, Cal, what are you hearing from these figures about wearing a mask, during games, during timeouts uh, for their own health and, health and safety, in addition to everyone around them. I'll start with you, Danielle.
2: Well, I, I can tell you from the conversations that we've had with our board, with our, uh, we have internal working groups and committees and conference captains and all sorts of different groups where we're getting feedback. Our, our coaches are excited to play. They're excited to practice. They're excited to compete. Um, this is, everybody knows this is a new time, this is a, a different time, and, and this is what's required to keep people safe. And so our, our coaches are all in in doing the right thing um, from a health and safety perspective. I have not heard of one coach who, um, who, who's gonna complain about wearing a mask or complain about some of these health and safety um, issues. Our our coaches are really looking forward to practicing, to competing, um, to making sure that their student athletes and their fellow coaches are are safe as we go through this season. And so I I think you're gonna see from from our side, and I know I've had many conversations with Craig, I think you're gonna see a a greater family of of basketball coaches and student athletes um, all being thankful to compete and doing the right thing to protect one another.
3: Yeah, Andy, I'll, I'll just piggyback on what Danielle said. You know, there, there is the benefit of not having had the NCAA tournament last year that has sort of awakened our coaches and they realize how fortunate we are to be able to get a season started, right? and i would I would also be being a little disingenuous if I didn't say there were a couple of grumpy folks who are talking about things, but the rest of the group pulls them back in, and they all are really thinking about the experience of their student athletes first and once you once that's out on the table, anybody who has any kind of trepidation about wearing a mask about uh social being socially distant or anything that is an inconvenience sort of subsides and and uh and, and they are, they're all back, back to figuring out how to, how to make this task work. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for, for, for the season to be started, as are our coaches.
0: So, Brian, all these schools are very active on social media, uh, educating us, informing us of their practices that have all begun. But we're seeing a mixed bag um, about the beginning of practice or early drills. And, and it really also is sometimes where you are in the country. So, for example, Iowa. Puts out on social media, and during practice, early drills, you see them all wearing the mask. And then I checked in with Fran McCaffrey, the head coach of Iowa. Now, once they really got up and down, and we're actually playing, the mask came off. Um, some are not wearing them at all, which I'm not saying is right or wrong. The players I'm talking about, you know, uh, even when they're doing the basic early drills uh, within practice, so it really has not been consistent. Where do you fall on on the aspect in the practice aspect of when you should or if you must? Uh, during various drills versus when you're going up and down.
1: Well, I think it, it's a very simple formula, Andy. The more you can wear your mask, the better off you and everyone around you is. And so, when you're doing your basic strength and conditioning or your warm-up drills, and you know, it, you should mask if you can. And and people will rationalize and say, "Well, I'm going to be taking my mask off in 15 minutes. Why not uh, take it off now?" But but it really exposure time matters. And the more we can limit exposure time, the, the better off we are. And, and so we just keep it at the at the most simple level rather than, you know, we don't have to devise uh, complicated formulas or, or, or say this amount of time you're on, you know, you know in your mask. Just If you're comfortable wearing a mask, wear a mask. And, and I think we all know that when it really gets down to the time when you're running up and down the court. And, and and really doing full court basketball. That's when it becomes challenging, and we understand that. And that's why there's there's also enhanced testing that's taking place to
0: account for that. So, Craig and Daniel, what have you guys noticed in terms of early practice?
3: Well, I you know I'll start. Uh, the, the, the The early feedback is everyone is worried about keeping their guys healthy, right? And there isn't worry as it's it, it goes back to what Brian has said many times the um, for, for not we can't call it a bubble but the 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 basketball group the our, our coaches feel safe when they're within their basketball group it's when the guys go out and they're not in the basketball group and they're in a some other social group that most of our coaches are are beside themselves with worry about that so our coaches in these early days of this early day into a practice are, 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 they, they've, they've kind of been used to having these workouts and the, this ramp up time. So they've got that part down. I think the part that they don't have down is as we get closer to the season and, and something, so something happens, somebody gets infected, the contact tracing part and worrying about being out for, you know, 14 days. That's what's on our coaches' minds right now. I'm going to get to that momentarily. Go ahead, Danielle.
2: Yeah, the only other thing I would add, and I, I agree with everything that's been said um, on, on the women's side, we, we are hearing um, just there's a lot of stress um, just with all the uncertainty, all the um, not not knowing everything definitively right about the season. There's, there's still – Um, decisions to be made. There's still uncertainty to navigate. And and, and some of our student-athletes are really going through a lot of of personal and emotional stress. Um, Our our coaches are trying to do their very best to care for their student-athletes from a mental health perspective and and, and encouraging them through this time. Um, This is such a difficult time for all of us. We've never been through anything like this, any of us. Um, so to, to go through this period, uh, certainly with student athletes who have worked so hard to get to where they are and, and compete at this elite level, um, it, it, it's incredibly stressful for them to to navigate all of the uncertainty. And so we, we are um, working with our coaches to try to help them then um, help serve the student athletes uh, through this difficult time. And And I think everybody is is really, as Craig said just a moment ago, you know that student athlete experience is so important to all of us. Um, and, and our coaches are really trying to make sure that, that from a mental health perspective, we are also addressing um, some of these needs that, that many of our athletes, the challenges they're facing.
0: Yeah, no question. We, we've addressed that many times on the social series uh, at length. Um, one other quick topic before we end with contact tracing. Uh, And that is, especially in women's basketball, and then Craig um, with the managers, but in women's basketball, we have seen for a long time, we've seen practice players. And a lot of times they are men. um, And that has really helped the women's game. But now we're really dealing with limited numbers in the space, in that gym. And this affects GAs and managers, even more so maybe on the men's side. But what is happening with those practice players on the women's side, because that really could affect you know getting ready for the season danielle
2: well, that's a great point andy and certainly on the women's side we we have always um, since we've had practice players, we have used them wisely, and it has allowed our um, our players to go up against bigger, faster, stronger um, men and and it has elevated our women 's game quickly um, this year. You're, you're not gonna see practice players. Um, we're, we're really trying to keep that tier one bubble as small as possible for health and safety reasons. And so that, that tier one group is, um, is, is the, the core of your program, you know, your student athletes, your coaches, um, and, and just the support staff that is necessary to facilitate the season. Um, So you're going to see a a lot of coaches jumping in on drills, you're going to see some managers and and different individuals that are support staff people actually likely doing managerial duties, Um, but it will be a much smaller group that's around those student athletes to protect them. Um, It will be different from a strategy perspective and a training perspective, Um, but it it is for health and safety, um, certainly. Craig?
3: Yeah, you're going to see a lot of our coaches in a lot better shape than they've been in in a long time because they're out on that floor. We have one of our our Hall of fame head coaches was was uh, out rebounding and uh, uh, said he had to, had to lose some weight and get in shape because he's shagging rebounds, and I feel what I, I feel sorry for the poor kid who was missing the shots and had him running all over the court because I know that, that couldn't have been good.
0: So, Brian, I want to end with contact tracing. We've talked about this for weeks. Uh, It is a major issue. We're seeing it happen, obviously, right now in college football. We've seen it in the NFL. Um, You know, there are products out there. Uh, The SEC is using a product where you can put it in your uniform and actually will determine how long you were next to a particular player on, you know, uh, whether you're a defensive lineman and maybe you never even came across the quarterback and the quarterback ended up testing positive. On the basketball side, I know this is something that, Uh, you know, high-profile schools are looking at in the SEC, especially where, okay, maybe my postman is against the other post, but you know what? He never even came into contact with that guard on the other team who tested positive, and so we can really break down minute by minute. Um, What are we seeing in terms of that aspect from the game perspective of trying to really limit contact tracing, and if someone is positive from another team, and you play that team three days ago, you may not have to sit, because really, when you break it down, you were barely with or next to that particular player.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Andy. And, uh, you you know, I'll tell you if we, uh, again, football is a very different sport, but um, when that was being utilized, uh, it still is by from schools and and with the NFL as well. You know, what they really found is that, that what was happening in the athletics realm was not really relevant. It was always outside of the athletics realm. So that's where the contact tracing becomes very important, but using these instruments is fine, but what's even more important is that there's a large number of contact tracers on campus who are properly trained, that there's an incredible relationship established with a local public health authority, that that individual understands that you're using this device, so it helps you, uh, you know, have a have a better sense of who came into prolonged contact or repetitive contact over a long period of time with someone, and that local public health authority person, then needs to accept that. And some will and some won't. And that's the problem uh, uh, across this country is that as you go in different municipalities, some have a, a, a an attitude that, look, you were around that person, you're in quarantine, and others they are very willing to work with the individuals who are coming up with creative solutions. So it's really the best advice, and, and this is what Danielle and Craig are, are emphasizing with their coaches, make certain that there is a very, very well-established relationship with the local public health authority so that they can work with you as you're trying to work through this really complicated issue of contact
0: tracing. So Daniel and Craig, I'll give you guys the last word on contact tracing. What are you hearing from your coaches, Daniel?
2: Well, what, what we're hearing is um, similar to Andy, what you uh, initiated in, in terms of this line of questioning and certainly Dr. Hanline has reinforced this on every call that we've been on. Uh, working through all of this, it, it's different in every area of the country. It's different depending on what state you're in. It's different depending on what what university you're 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 at and, and representing. Um, so all of these relationships are vital. Um, everyone is committed to them, but it it does look different in the different parts of the country that you're in, and, and how you would facilitate um, not only the the guidelines of what your state is going through, but but certainly how your um, your institution will do the contact tracing. I, I know in a lot of the committee uh, meetings that I've been in, there have been uh, coaches that have described what what is already going on on their campuses, um, and it's extensive. It is it is it is a big commitment. It is extensive, um, and it's certainly there. There's there's protocols there that are already established to make sure that um, that again health and safety is number one, and there's a way to be able to trace. Um, the, the outbreaks and, and how to protect those that, um, that are still healthy, and, and then what does it look like to, to care for those that, that may be um, testing positive, and so there's, there's all sorts of protocols that are out there, um, and our coaches are very committed uh, to doing their part to protect and serve their student-athletes.
3: Yeah, not much more to add, uh, Andy, uh, to to what Danielle and what Brian have said. Uh, the the one thing that I will say is that uh, because of what what Brian has has counseled us, you know, we we we're getting our coaches out to talk to the 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 health professionals in in their uh, respective areas. That we're trying to get guys to do, but but even more importantly, we're trying to educate our student athletes on. How important it is to be responsible when you're away from uh, the the pod of the team, and how how easily uh, it can it can change the whole season for everybody. So trying to be um, trying to to emphasize being unselfish when you are not with your team is is a big part of this, and and our coaches are doing doing a, a great job of of conveying that to their teams.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so a couple overall lessons learned and things to look forward to spaced out benches officials uh wearing masks when they talk to coaches um usually use they will be likely using the regular whistle coaches wearing masks when they're talking to officials talking to their team these are all things that be prepared we're going to see that this season so that we have a season leading up to the respective men's and women's ncaa tournaments in march and early april daniel donahue Executive Director of the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, Craig Robinson, Executive Director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, and Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA Chief Medical Officer, as always. Appreciate all of you. Uh, This was, once again, informational, educational. Hopefully everyone out there is taking this all in because there will be changes, but there has to be changes if we're going to have the season that we all want during this pandemic. This is episode number 30. You can go to NCAA.org slash social series to see all our episodes archived. We've been covering a variety of topics from COVID to social justice to mental health over the last, whatever this is, six or seven months since this all began. We'll talk again next week. Stay safe, everyone.